Hey, this is Dr. Patty Sadala. Welcome to my Experience Jesus podcast. In this how-to episode, we're going to talk about the Damascus prayer experience. That's something that the Lord has shown me over the years that I have prayed many times with great effect. I call it this because the elements of what happened to Saul on the road to Damascus and transformed him into Paul the Apostle are the same key things that need to happen for any dramatic life turnaround experience. This episode is prompted by the sheer number of people who have come to my attention lately for prayer that truly needed it. There seems to be so many barriers for these tough nuts to crack, the people that begin to lose their hope and that you believe will never find their freedom, bondages of addictions, anger leading to self-destructive behaviors and consequences in their life that appear to be swallowing them up. I have seen this prayer process work so many times that I really wanted to share it today along with some of those success stories. Let's begin by looking at the original Damascus experience. Acts 9, 1-19 discusses the conversion of Paul. We'll take those verses in bite-sized pieces. Acts 9, 1 and 2. Now Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, and relentless in his search for believers, went to the high priest, and he asked for letters of authority from him to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any man or woman there belonging to the way, that is, believers, followers of Jesus the Messiah, men and women alike, he could arrest them and bring them bound with chains to Jerusalem. So here we get a sense of Saul's starting place. He was passionate about stopping the movement of faith and belief in Jesus Christ as the Messiah. He truly believed he was fighting for the correct team. Do you know anyone like that? Let's see what happened next. Acts 9, verses 3 to 9. As he traveled, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him, displaying the glory and majesty of Christ. And he fell to the ground and heard a voice from heaven saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting and oppressing me? And Saul said, Who are you, Lord? And he answered, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Now get up and go to the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men who were traveling with him were terrified and stood speechless, hearing the voice but seeing no one. Saul got up from the ground, but though his eyes were opened, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus, and he was unable to see for three days, and he neither ate nor drank. So the first lesson we learn here is that this was a direct Jesus encounter. It was not through a secondary person as God so often works. It was a one-on-one -on -one direct encounter with Jesus. I also think it's interesting that his eyes were open, but he could not see. Jesus physically blinded Saul so that he could not see in the natural, but he could only understand in the spiritual. We pick it up now in verse 10 to 14. Now in Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias, and the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he answered, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Get up 
and go to the street called Straight and ask at the house of Judas for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying there. And in a vision he has seen a man named Ananias come in and place his hands on him so that he may regain his sight. But Ananias answered the Lord, I have heard from many people about this man, especially how much suffering and evil he has brought to your saints, God's people, in Jerusalem. And here in Damascus, he has authority from high priests to put in chains all who call on your name, confessing you as Savior. First of all, I just wanted you to notice that the road, the Damascus road, was actually called straight. God has a sense of humor. Ananias was afraid to obey this command, understandably, because he only knew Saul as his old sin nature man. This is so important for you to understand because you look at your prodigal son or husband or friend or unsafe friend and relative, and you see them as though they will always be in that state. But that's not how Jesus sees them. Jesus looks into their future the future he died for them to have. So it's really important that you believe that Jesus is able to turn around the toughest nuts to crack or anyone that you consider to be too hopeless of a cause. When you pray without faith, you're actually praying against that transformation yourself. There is nothing too difficult for Jesus and no one out of his reach. There is no circumstance that is too hard for God to overcome. And when he sees that that's the only way for someone to turn around, he loves to show up personally and take care of it himself. And he needs you as the intercessory prayer person in this person's life to support him in that mission. And if it's you that's the tough nut to crack, the Lord wants you to know you're not too much for him to handle either. Verse 15 and 16, But the Lord said to him, Go, for this man is deliberately chosen as an instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and sons of Israel. For I will make it clear to him how much he must suffer and endure for my name's sake. Ananias was told that Saul was chosen as a deliberate instrument of God. Everyone that was born and is alive at this generation, has a purpose that God has for them to be a chosen instrument for his kingdom plans. And so is the person that you think is hopeless. God sees them in their future fruit-bearing glory. Verses 17 to 19. So Ananias left and entered the house, and he laid his hands on Saul and said, Brother Saul, The Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you came to Damascus, has sent me to you so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit in order to proclaim Christ to both Jews and Gentiles. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he regained his sight. He got up and was baptized, and he took some food and was strengthened. When the scales fell off Saul's eyes, he not only regained his physical sight, but he gained spiritual sight. The Holy Spirit came upon him, and he was suddenly transformed and could see the truth that would set him free. What is the Damascus experience? It is a holy encounter with the living God. 
which means when you see yourself, you see how God sees you. This will cause you to drop to your knees in repentance, and it will cause you to seek forgiveness and deposits a burning desire for you to want more. The experience confirms the realness of God, and you feel God's nature, character, promises for you in that experience. Jesus shows you who you really are in that encounter, and you suddenly want to be the best version of yourself. You are infused with the Holy Spirit's power to change, and the Lord deposits the faith in your heart to be able to work out your salvation and your healing with Him. No one who experiences the Damascus experience ever goes backward. You cannot unexperience it. It changes you immediately. You can only go forward because you cannot taste the love of God to this measure and not be transformed. Recently, I was praying a Damascus experience prayer for someone, and the Lord showed me this vision that describes the Damascus experience perfectly. I saw the one I was praying for looking at himself in a full-length mirror. Jesus was standing behind him with his hands on his shoulders. The young man wanted to run away because he was looking at something that overwhelmed him so much. But everywhere he turned, Jesus was right in front of him. He could not run from Jesus. Jesus wanted him to see the truth, to look at it and allow it to heal him. He turned the man back toward the mirror and made him look at himself. And when the young man did, he dropped to his knees to weep in repentance. And then the Lord lifted him up and strengthened him, gave him a hug and shared his love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, and self-control, allowing it to wash over this young man. He would never be the same after that experience. The Damascus experience is more intense than anything that we've facilitated up to this point on the Experience Jesus podcast because you're literally swimming in the anointing and presence and glory of God. And in that level of glory and presence, there is healing and there is joy. It flips the switch and causes you to see yourself clearly and want to be holy. Let's look at some other Damascus kinds of stories in the Bible. When Job had his prayer answered, and was finally able to have a direct conversation with God so he could understand why he was being so persecuted. This is what happened. Job 42, 3-6 says, Therefore I have uttered what I do not understand, things too wonderful me which I do not know. I had heard of them by hearing of the ear, but now I see with my eyes. Therefore I despise myself and, and repent in dust and ashes." And beyond that, the Lord restored everything that Job was lost and actually multiplied it beyond that. So after he had gone through a horrible time and he encountered God directly, he was transformed and the Lord restored everything. We learned from Job that sometimes we need to forget what we think we know about God in order to allow him to instruct us in the truth of who he really is. He was basically saying in this verse, wow, I just realized you're God and I'm not. 
Isaiah had a similar encounter in the throne room of heaven in Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 5. In the year of King Uzziah, I saw in a vision the Lord sitting on a throne, high and exalted, with the train of his royal robe filling the most holy part of the temple. Above him, seraphim, heavily being, stood. Each one had six wings. With two wings, he covered his face, and two wings, he covered his feet. And with the other two wings, he flew. And one called to another, saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. The whole earth is filled with his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds trembled at the voice of him who called out, and the temple was filling with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am ruined, because I am a man of unceremoniously unclean lips, and I live among the people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Both of these stories encountered the holiness of God, and it immediately had them see themselves rightly. What happens after a Damascus experience? Well, let's pick up the story of Isaiah directly after this verse in the throne room, Isaiah 6, verse 6. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal in his hand, which he had taken from the altar with tongs. He touched my mouth with it and said, listen carefully. This has touched your lips. Your wickedness, your sin, your injustice, your wrongdoing is taken away and your sin is atoned for. You are forgiven. The Damascus encounter accomplishes healing and cleansing and forgiveness. The forgiveness of both God to you and you to yourself. Then in verse 8, Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am, send me. So in these verses we see Isaiah healed, sealed, and then sent. God took away his imperfections and qualified him and gave him an assignment. That's what happens after a Damascus experience. I think that's one of the reasons that the Lord has put it on my heart so much to pray for this for people at this particular time, because we are living in an important kingdom season. We don't have a lot of time for people to figure out what God has put them on the planet for. It is time for people to rise up and be the people he created them to be and do the work that he created them to do. And he doesn't want to see people stuck and hopeless and unhealed and in bondages to addictions and whatnot. This is also what happened to Saul. He immediately went into strict training with the disciples and became one of the greatest apostles of the New Testament. After his transformation, He grew to become Apostle Paul. Here are some other brief stories of people who had been completely transformed by a Damascus experience. Oftentimes, God uses this technique to turn people around by near-death experience encounters. I know of a few such people in my own life that had these kinds of experiences, I shared in another episode that my dear friend Marsha, who actually died three times, had her first death experience as a Damascus experience. She was unsaved at the time, and the Lord gave her a glimpse of hell and asked her if she desired this destiny for herself. That encounter with Jesus caused her to immediately surrender her life 
to him and salvation the moment she was returned to her revived body. I've shared in other episodes about Marcia. I met her after her second death and learned much from her about how to live with an internal perspective. So she had some fruit bearing to do before he took her for the final time. But she had a great impact on me and many others while she was still with us. In another story, I went to Israel in 2016 with a small group of folks from the church I attended at that time. Santosh Acharje shared his testimony and the book that he wrote entitled My Encounters with Jesus at Heaven's Gates, A Life-Changing Near-Death Experience. He shared in this book that when he died, he experienced Jesus in heaven for quite a while as his wife was not willing to pull the plug on his lifeless body for few days. He was from India and had no idea who he was encountering, but he knew that he had just met the one true God. India has thousands of gods. That experience with the Lord gave him five key lessons and commissioned him to share them when he came back. Santosh testified that it took him three years and after a move to the United States to even discover who he encountered as Jesus Christ. He surrendered his life to Jesus and to the dismay and frustration of his Hindu-believing family, he still serves God to this day. We see in both of these stories that there was a commissioning and a calling that happened after someone had a direct Damascus experience with Jesus. God has a purpose and a plan for you, and that is reason enough to keep you on the planet, as we learned from Marcia. One of God's primary strategies of Damascus encounters is to meet people in their dreams. This is so common in Muslim countries that Daniel Kalenda, as part of his missionary work in Africa, asks the question often, have you had the dream about the man dressed in white yet? Jesus himself loves to show up in unchurched areas of the world in dreams and visions, planting seeds of his light and love in their hearts. This is one of his key strategies for salvation and the fulfillment of his kingdom purposes in those regions. And I shared in my Lyme's Healing podcast that Tim, whose healing was intertwined with my Lyme's disease healing, had a Damascus experience with Jesus in three dreams. His wife, my daughter, and I prayed for that intervention a few days previous to him experiencing the dreams. Jesus showed him his destiny options should he choose to agree with the promise of healing or agree that this illness would take his life because he was struggling with unbelief that the Lord had already healed him. The podcast episode shares how that encounter changed his entire life and that he and his family are serving God together completely healed today. I particularly love the turnaround stories of people who are adamantly against God and the family consider them to be unredeemably too hard of a nut to crack. Two such stories come to mind. One is of my dear friend Nancy. Her father had severely abused her as a child and sold her into slavery at the age of 14, then came back into her life when he was an older man, still angry and mean. 
She took care of him a couple of days a week, simply out of obedience to the word that God says to honor your father and mother. She called me one day and asked me to pray with her because each time she went in to see him to cook or clean or take care of his medications, he would curse at her for the entire visit. This was the first time I remember praying the full Damascus experience prayer that I'll be sharing the steps of in a bit. We prayed for warrior angels to fill his house, keeping the demons that had been tormenting him and whispering nasty things into his ears. So the warrior angels would keep those demons so busy that they would give her father a reprieve and Jesus would have an opportunity to step in and deal directly with him. We also prayed a bubble of protection over Nancy so that no fiery darts of the enemy could pierce her heart. Only the truth could penetrate and any lies would bounce back. And that the Lord would help her to see her father through his loving eyes and not through her own pain. So she could enter that space protected from anything evil attacking her or intending to harm her. After she prayed that prayer, she testified that her father didn't say anything to her, nothing nice or nothing mean. She felt it was a victory that she was able to go into his house, do what she needed to do, and leave without being attacked. She was able to see him through Jesus' eyes and felt sad for all the heart wounding that would cause him to be so mean. Then a few weeks later, she called me with the most incredible story. She showed up as usual, and when her father opened the door, he dropped to his knees, clung to her legs, looked up with tears, and said, I just met your Jesus. I am so sorry. The last remaining months of his life, her father was completely different, and she was blessed to have a short relationship with a real father. This is the power of the Damascus experience. So now let's talk about how to pray the Damascus Experience Prayer. The first thing I want to say is that this works whether the person you are praying for is someone else or yourself. If you truly feel stuck, feel like you're hopeless, unusable by God, and he seems very distant to you, this prayer is for you too. And it's for your spouse or your child or your friend or relative that needs intercessory prayer as well. The first step is to ask the Lord to show you their heart. Or if it's you, your heart. It is the truth that sets you free along with God's power. It is a lie to even see them limited in their present state. So you must ask the Lord to show you their future from his eyes if they were truly to live according to God's design for them. This is the future state that you're praying into. This is an important lesson and an interesting one because people typically pray the present state limitations when God is truly asking you to pray the future state kingdom destiny over somebody. So you begin with the ideal picture of the end result. And you can only get that by looking through God's eyes and seeing it from his perspective. Next, I found that asking for angel assistance is absolutely helpful. If a person is in this kind of state, there are a lot of demons that are whispering and menacing with this person at the moment. So it helps to ask for angel warriors to help. 
Check out my episode on how to cooperate with the Ministry of Angels for more about how angels are there for your assistance and how you can pray for their help in a circumstance like this. In the Damascus experience, I like to pray for warrior angels to fight against the demons that are causing any problems. You're basically dispatching angels to fight in a battle so that the demons have no time to menace with the person you're praying for. It's important note to make that if demons are present, they have a legitimate contract to be there because the person has agreed with their lies or are living a lifestyle of sin and are living below what God would have for them. They're listening to the enemy's lies, which gives them permission to be there. So the angels are really basically distracting these guys until you can pray and God can break them off and send them away. But they will not be sent away while there's still a legitimate contract. I will link below the episode I have on how deliverance works and how to fight against the demonic realm in this episode of the pattyej.podbean.com site. The work of the warrior angels provides an opportunity for Jesus to break through the hard heart and have a face-to-face conversation. The next step in the prayer is to ask for that direct Jesus encounter. You do not need to tell Jesus how to do it or tell him exactly what to do. Simply asking Jesus to encounter directly will do the trick. He knows exactly what they will hear and what way or method has the power to set them free. Whatever pictures or images or promises that God gives you as you're praying, you must agree with them and pray in agreement with them, even if they're scary. Ask the Lord to confirm these pictures in scriptures and in other ways and speak in agreement with whatever God says about his methods for his desires related to the person that you're praying for. God is not a liar. In fact, he's unable to lie. So if he shows you something that is a condition for the healing for that person, if you're praying for yourself, you need to agree with that condition and make sure you meet it and do the work that he has put on your heart. Oftentimes, the person needs to hit rock bottom before they'll drop to their knees and repent. God will show you that it sometimes might get worse before it gets better, but don't pray against this. He knows what he's doing. Lance Wall now pointed out in one of his teachings about the prodigal that prodigals never return when they're comfortable, only when they're in pain. This may be required for a prodigal to turn around. So it's important to agree with whatever Jesus shows you that you're praying for. So to summarize, the steps of the Damascus experience are to see the person through God's eyes, healed and living according to the purposes he created them for. Pray for angels to keep any demons busy and give a person relief from torment. You can actually pray a bind and gag of the demons to keep them quiet as well. And then pray for Jesus to directly encounter them and take it from there. Remember, never tell Jesus how to do something. He's the omni-god. Asking Jesus to be who he is and showing that person exactly what they need to be free is all that's required. I found also that praying the whatever-it-takes prayer works as well. The whatever-it-takes prayer says to the Lord, I trust you enough with this matter that 
the way you use to get this person healed and whole, I trust you with. This kind of prayer has power in the spiritual realm because God is motivated to answer prayers that are born out of fearless faith. One of the things that Jesus directly takes care of in this prayer process is that he will show you the lies that need to be repented of and the behaviors that need to change. He'll reveal the conditions that need to be met in order for you to be completely free. And he offers the full power to accomplish that. This is not something you have to strive for to receive. He brings the faith and the power for the transformation required in that moment. But he does require cooperation to do it. So pray for the humility required for Jesus to break through. The Damascus experience is very much like a baptism. You go under the water, an old, broken, and sick-natured person, and you rise up out of the water clean, pure, healthy, and empowered. Life after a Damascus experience is a journey of learning about who this new you actually is. But once you have an encounter like this with Jesus, you realize there's nothing he can't do for you or through you. Before we go into our encounter, I want to make sure you realize that it is important to visualize Jesus and see him clearly when you're praying these prayers and pray them out loud. Demons cannot hear your thoughts. He and you, or he and the person that you're praying for, take care of this business together. It is an absolute partnership. Make sure that you pray in faith that God can do what needs to be done, not because of the person that you're praying for, but because of who he is. Nothing is impossible for God. This is what Jesus had to say about the Damascus prayer experience. The time has never been more ripe for these kinds of prayers. The kingdom season that we are in is all hands on deck. I need my full body of Christ to be healed and whole activated to their destined callings. My heart breaks for those living in hopelessness, addictions, and bondages of wounds to their past. It breaks my heart to see anger and resentment, unforgiveness, and emotional pain hold them back. For my beloved children, I love to show myself real and powerful to all those who are desperately in need of me. Oh, what I can do with the most unlikely candidates when they are transformed. I prompted you to do this episode because I want people to want to believe me for more. It is for freedom that I came to set you free. John 8.36 says, So if the Son makes you free, you are unquestionably free. You must acknowledge the truth of John 14.6. John said to him, I am the only way to God, the real truth, and the real life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Invite me to prove those truths to you, whether you are praying for yourself or someone else. Watch what I can do with a humbled and surrendered heart. Before we dive into our encounter today, I wanted to take a moment to ask you for a blessing. If you have learned some new things and have drawn closer to God by this podcast, please pray for the Lord to multiply it and allow the Lord to pop a few names into your spirit for whom you could share this podcast with. Simply text or email them the link to the pattyej.podbean.com site and let them know why you've been blessed by it. 
And please check out my books, journals, and downloadable resources at pattysadala.com shop. And remember the code EJPOD to receive 10% off everything, even the stuff already on sale. And remember, they make great gifts too. Thank you for blessing me by your prayers and for being a listener to this podcast. If this is your first podcast experience with us, you may want to go back to the trailer episode and learn about the biblical foundation for dialogue journaling, our process for experiencing Jesus. This leads you through the first special place encounter with Jesus as a child. This is a starting point for all of our experiences with Jesus. For best results, it is always good to properly posture your heart for your experience by welcoming Jesus' presence with praise and thanksgiving and playing with him in a special place as a child for a few minutes before asking for anything from him. So for this one, I really want you to take notes of the steps, and I want you to sincerely worship before moving on with this, and do this at your own pace with Jesus. But it would be a really great heart posture for you to sincerely worship, maybe even pray and fast before you do this. So take a little bit of time. But these, again, are the steps. After you've played with Jesus in this special place for a few minutes, ask Jesus to show you the heart of the person you're praying for, whether that's you or someone else. Actually asking him, showing you what that person looks like, if they're living their Christ identity, the future God has for them. So that's step one. Step two is to visualize the warrior angels and dispatch them to war with any demons that are influencing the person. You can also pray a bind and gag prayer. Bind and gag any whispers, anything they're saying in the spirit, or anything that they're doing, which will keep them tied up for a period of time. Then see Jesus show up and watch what he's doing. Pay attention to what he's saying the lies are that need to be renounced, any behaviors that need to change and ask specifically to see any conditions that need to be met. Pray in agreement with everything he's doing. And as an intercessor, pray for the person to be open-hearted enough to receive that. And then just watch what he does, record it all, and then close in prayer with an agreement of that future, that you are praying that destiny over that person or yourself. Continue to press in and continue to ask the angels to remain in place, uh, fighting the battle until the Lord tells them that the job is finished. So keep praying and pressing in for that person. And record it all in your journal and take all the time you need when you do it. Remember that God lives outside of time and space, and any visions he gives you of people being healed, whole, and fruit-bearing, living lives of great victory, that's because he's seen it happen already. So it is a possible future that you are praying in agreement for. So remember that and continue to press in and pray for people until the victory happens. I also wanted you to prayerfully consider attending our Breakthrough Spirit Life Workshop that will be held 
in Lebanon, Oregon, October 21st to 23rd, 2022. You will experience three days of carefully facilitated Jesus encounters, drawing you closer and increasing your intimacy with Christ. You will experience miraculous healing, physical, emotional, spiritual, and mental, and equipping you for your calling with an increased anointing and clarity about your destined purpose. Check out our information at spiritlifeworkshops.com. The link will be below this episode. And we hope to see you there. I hope you learned something today about how to pray for some of the toughest nuts to crack in your life and that the Lord has hope for those people and has plans for those people. And I hope that you pray the Damascus experience and see victories. Please share them when you do. And I thank you and I praise you, Lord Jesus, for who you are and how you're able to do this in the lives of those who need it so desperately. And I hope you will join us on this podcast adventure. Follow this podcast and forward it to others that you think may be blessed by it. And check out all the links below. They are designed to take you deeper. I thank God for you and bless you in Jesus' name.